Isaiah 50. Let's read the first four verses here as we get started. And um, uh, we're going to uh, try to get through the whole chapter tonight. Got a lot of supplemental material to cover to help us understand the chapter. The verse 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it uh, to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, and for your, mo- for your transgressions is your mother put away. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all, that it cannot redeem, or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the seas. I made the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh, because there is no water, and dieth for thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their coverings. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. This is going to turn into a prophecy of the suffering servant. How Jesus suffered for us. And we'll get into verse 5 and 6 in a little bit and just see how it is descriptive. In fact, look at verse 6. It says in verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. Speaking of the pulling of the beard of Jesus, I hid not my face from shame and spitting. You can see this is a passage about um, how Jesus was crucified. Here's the title of the Bible study tonight, Rejected or Redeemed. Rejected or Redeemed. There's a lot of rejection in this chapter. And there's a lot of redeeming offered in this chapter. And really, that is the thrust of society today. Um, Are you going to reject the Lord? Or are you going to be redeemed by the Lord? When we reject the Lord, what we're rejecting is His redemption. And yes, we're talking about salvation, but it goes oh so much deeper. Let's pray tonight. We'll get into the Bible study. Lord, we pray tonight you would guide us through the passage. Give us a a heart to understand. And Lord... um, the discipline to go forth and put into practice the things that we hear. Guide us tonight, Lord. Give us the mental energy we need to stay focused and glean from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we've been walking through the book of Isaiah, verse by verse. We're a good chunk of the way through now, making it to chapter number 50. And again, this is being written by Isaiah uh, in prophecy of well over a hundred years in advance of the events that were taking place. In fact, Isaiah would die well before Babylon would even rise to power, much less before the captivity. Here Isaiah is beginning to prophesy beyond the captivity and to a time uh, of uh, the coming of the promised Messiah. And we'll see here that there is a lot of uh, the, uh, Israel rejecting God, and then God in turn rejecting Israel. And then uh, God is sending Jesus to redeem His people, and some remnant of the people being redeemed, while others, in that attempt to bring them back in, return back around and reject God yet again. And listen, uh, the question for me and you is this, are we going to, on a daily basis, uh, embrace the Lord, 
or push the Lord away? Are we going to bring Him in closer to our day-to-day lives? Or are we going to hold Him at an arm's distance? People visit our church, and uh, I will uh, go out of my way to be friendly anytime I can uh, with visitors. And, you know, when I, when I greet a visitor, there's a few ways in which they respond. Some people come in the door and they visit, and they're just enthusiastic to be here. I mean, they've already looked up, looked us up online, and maybe they've watched a handful of services, and uh, they've, um, uh, they've uh, read up about uh, me on the website as the pastor. And I'll walk in, and they know my name before I even know their name. And, hi, are you Pastor Lejeune? Yes, I sure am. And, how did you hear about us on the website? And, man, they're excited. And, and, and they're just about ready to give me a hug the first time they meet me. Then you have other people come in and they're like, you know what? I'm here checking this place out. You stay over there and I'll stay over here and we'll be just great. They're keeping me at an arm's distance. You ever had someone you try to get close to and you could just tell there was a wall there and they were only going to let you in so far and they, they, were, they were keeping you at what? At arm's length. And here I find that a lot of people go through the Christian life and they're keeping the Lord at arm's length. They only want to let him in so far. They only want to let the Word of God affect their lifestyle so much. They only want to submit to God and embrace Him to a point as it's convenient to them, but no more than that. Here in Isaiah 50, uh, Israel had rejected the Lord, and then the Lord in turn rejects Israel, and then God seeks to embrace and redeem Israel, and some of them will go with it, along with it, others would not. Let's jump into the passage this evening, and let's look at a handful of thoughts on the back of your prayer bullets in there. You'll find an outline, the outline for the Bible study. We're going to try to get through it all tonight, but if we don't, we'll pick it up next week. Let's jump in here. Number one, notice Israel's rebellion. Israel's rebellion. Look with me at verse 1 and 2. We see the rebellion. Thus saith the Lord, where's the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? Or uh, which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, and for your transgression is your mother put away. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that I cannot redeem, or that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I uh, make the river a wilderness. Their fish stinketh, because there is no water, and dieth for thirst. Let's notice an A and a B out of this. Letter A, notice, speaking of Israel's rebellion, notice their divorcement. Their divorcement. Back in verse number 1, the Bible talks about the bill of divorcement. It says in verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? Further down in the verse, it says, Which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Take your Bibles over to Deuteronomy chapter number 24. Now, while you're finding your way to Deuteronomy 24, we're going to read the specifics of the Mosaic law as it pertained to uh, a man divorcing his wife. And uh, we get to the New Testament and the Pharisees come along and question Jesus about divorcement. And what does Moses say? He says, for the hardness of your hearts, I allowed a bill of divorcement to be written, but it was never my intent for there to be divorce. Never my intent. In fact, my intent was that man should leave his father and mother and should cleave unto his wife and the two should become one flesh. In fact, that truth is repeated, I believe, four or five times. That verse is repeated in some form four or five times throughout the Bible. God's plan is one man and one woman 
together for life and not for all of this divorcement. But here we find that Israel and God metaphorically had gone through a divorce. Look at Deuteronomy 24 and we see sort of the conditions that God laid out for divorce in the Old Testament through Moses. Verse number 1, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her. Then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and giveth it in her hand and sendeth her out of the house, or if the latter husband die, uh, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after that she is defiled, for there is abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. I'm going to tell you what I take out of these verses here, is that it didn't take much for a man to decide he could just divorce his wife. A man could look at his wife and for just about any reason say, I want a divorce and write the bill of divorcement and just send her away. And uh, look, uh, God is saying back in our text in Isaiah 50, he's saying, where is the bill of divorcement that I have handed out to be separated from you? Because in the Old Testament, you could get a divorce for just about any reason. Now, why did God, in essence, divorce himself from Israel? Was it because God woke up on the wrong side of the bed one day and just decided he was done with his people? No, that's not it. Why did God decide uh, that he needed to be separated from them? Well, it wasn't the Lord's fault. It was Israel's fault. Now, to take this uh, uh, to its full end here, uh, if you look at Israeli history, okay, you know you have the nation of Israel, right, made up of how many tribes? How many tribes? Someone tell me how many tribes? Twelve tribes, okay? And uh, there were ten northern tribes, and there were two southern tribes, okay? And um, after after Solomon, uh, Rehoboam came in, and Rehoboam split the nation by raising taxes. That's a good way to break up a nation, raise the taxes and make them unbearable. And the ten northern tribes said, we're out of here. And so Rehoboam remained king of the two southern tribes, and the ten northern tribes, a man came, named Jeroboam came in and took them over. My dad in family devotions when I was growing up, he called them the Bowen boys, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. See, so at Rehoboam and Jeroboam, the Bowen boys. And uh, the nations divided, and the ten northern tribes would not have even one king who would do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. And what happened is after a while of all of that sin, God completely divorced himself of those ten northern tribes. They were carried away into captivity by the Assyrians and they would never be restored back into good graces with God again. But those two southern tribes that made up Judah, uh, they would be divorced for a time and then would be brought back in. Now, um, we have a story in the book of Hosea, and for time's sake, we're not going to turn there and go through it, but we have a story in the book of Hosea that where God shows exactly what this looked like, the bill of divorcement. All right, God comes to Hosea, and he says, I want you to marry an adulteress, a harlot. I want you to marry a prostitute. And I want you to have babies with her. I had a young man 
I heard of a young man once that told a pastor, God told me to marry her. And the pastor looked at him and said, is your name Hosea? God didn't tell you to marry her. All right. That was a one-time thing. All right. And so Hosea marries Gomer, and they have some babies together. And then um, Gomer goes back to her old lifestyle and starts sleeping around on, on her husband. And it gets to the point where it's so bad that Hosea looks at his wife and says, you're either going to have to knock it off or leave. And she won't knock it off, and so she leaves. And Gomer gets herself wrapped up into prostitution and becomes a slave. Becomes a slave. She has been turned over to the creditors. Again, verse 50, chapter 50, verse 1, talks about the bill of divorcement and talks about creditors. And I picture Gomer standing there on the slave block, stark naked, She's been so abused by sin and by men that nobody wants her anymore. She's got no value to anybody. They're trying to auction her off like a piece of meat. Hosea shows up, and he not only is the highest bid, he's the highest bid by a lot. He way overpays to get his wife back. And he takes her off of that block, auction block, and he restores her back into the marriage. You have to understand, Gomer was the one that drove the divorce, not Hosea. Gomer was the one that put herself into the creditor, into great debt. Gomer and her poor behavior caused the divorcement and caused herself to become a slave. And Hosea, who loved her, threw it all, showed up and said, I'll buy her back, I'll redeem her. Watch this. Gomer rejected Hosea. Hosea redeemed Gomer. You see that? It was Gomer that rebelled from Hosea. Hosea came back and said, I'm going to redeem you from your rebellion. And this is a parallel of the story of Israel and Jehovah. God, uh, uh, Israel rebelled from Jehovah. It wasn't that God got put up with Israel and said, I want a divorce. No, it was that Israel was so, uh, 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 metaphorically or spiritually adulteresses against God that God lost, that God lost his relationship with them in that banner for a time and they were caught up in captivity. So we see their divorcement in verse 1. Letter B, we see their drought, their drought. Look back at verse number 2 of Isaiah chapter 50. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? Keep note of that phrase, when I came, was there no man? The question. We're going to look at that again in just a moment. When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the river or the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh because there is no water and dieth for thirst. So many times throughout Israel's history, God would send a drought to get his people's attention. Many times. Let me give you just one example of this that immediately comes to mind. And that was when Ahab was king of the ten northern tribes and brought in Baal worship. You remember the story, brought in Baal worship? And uh, what did Elijah do? He walked into the into the palace. No one knew who he was. And he said, um, 
uh, you want to worship Baal, the God of fertility, I'm going to call on the God of heaven to shut up the heavens, and we'll see how much fertility Baal can offer. Until I pray again, it's not going to rain. And so then he went into hiding, and for the next three plus years, there was no rain. No rain. There was a drought. And um, this is... This is a this is a, a a an example of how sin brings dearth in the life of the Christian. Please hear what I'm going to tell you right here. When you rebel against God, you push away from God. By the way, rebellion is when I choose to make myself my own final authority. I know the word of God says, but I want to do this. I know that leadership God-ordained leadership in my life says go here, but I want to go there. I am my own final authority. That's rebellion. When we push away against God's way to go our own way, what always ends up happening is we get a drought in our life. There is a spiritual drought. Israel would experience this drought of metaphorical seas drying up and riverbeds being left barren and Fish stinking along the way. Now, Israel would experience a 300-year drought of silence between the end of the writing of Malachi and the ministry of John the Baptist. Then the Messiah would be sent down and would become one of them and they would reject Him. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 11. Turn over there if you don't mind. John chapter 1. While you turn over to John 1, I'm going to... I'm going to get a drink of water here. John 1. Look at verse number 11. John chapter 1. Everybody there? All right, it says this. He came unto his own. And then what's it say? His own received him not. So God sends Jesus, the Messiah, right? I mean, He takes part of the Godhead and sends Him to earth in the form of a man, right? To attempt to redeem His people, right? And they don't know who He is. They don't want anything to do with Him. Again, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 2, Wherefore, when I came... Was there no man? Jesus comes to earth and the religious leaders, they don't even come to say hello and to worship Him. You remember when the wise men showed up? The wise men show up in Jerusalem and they think, man, the whole city's going to be rejoicing. And they go in uh, to the to uh, Herod's uh, 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 palace there and they inquire where the, 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 the Christ child was born. And Herod goes... Wait here, let me go find out. And he goes and he asks the scribes, where is he to be born? And they come back and say, in Bethlehem. And you know what? They knew the star was in the sky. They could see. And they knew wise men were there. And they didn't even make the journey to go see the Christ child. Where were they at? These were the religious leaders of Israel. They didn't care. This is how bad the drought was. The Messiah had arrived, and the religious leaders of the country didn't even care to lift a finger to go see him. Instead, uh, shepherds uh, had it announced to them, and they went. Boy, something about the simple confounding the mighty, and or the, the wise, and the weak confounding the mighty. Turn over to Luke 
chapter. Let me see here. Make sure I got the right. Let me make sure I got Luke Luke twenty three forty four. And while you're finding your way there, let me read for you just to show you how bad this spiritual drought is. The Messiah is sent, and they put him on a cross. You talking about rejecting? This is the ultimate rejection. Here comes the Messiah. He is one of them. And instead of embracing the Redeemer, they kill the Redeemer. In fact, verse 3 of Isaiah 50 prophesies about the crucifixion. It says, I clothe the heaven with darkness, and I make sackcloth their covering. So in this rejection, in this drought, the drought is so severe that God comes down to His own people and His people Killing. Look at Luke 23, look at verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour, and this speaking of the crucifixion, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. I, I would have loved to have been standing in the temple to just watch the reaction of the, of the high priest, the chief priest, when that, that, that really thick veil just got ripped in half. That must have been a sight to behold. You're talking about fear and trembling, right? That, that divided the holy place from the holy of holies, and no one had seen it. And here, God in heaven reaches down and just rips the thing in half and says, we're done with this. Isaiah 50, verse 3, is talking about this great drought. This drought is so severe that they nail their, they nail their Messiah to a cross and reject Him, and as a result, the whole sky is turned into blackness. So we see Israel's rebellion. Now, if you rebel against God and His Word and His way, you're going to experience darkness and drought in your life. That's no way to live. Number two. Number two, we see Israel's Redeemer. Israel's Redeemer. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 50 and look at verse number 4. The Lord God, it says, hath given me the tongue of the learned. These verses are going to come to life for us here with the New Testament. That I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Letter A, speaking of uh, the Messiah or of Jesus Christ, notice his objective. His objective. What was the objective of Jesus when he came to earth? His objective was to minister. It was to care for the weary. This is the man who said, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the man that said, take my yoke upon you. For my, for my burden is easy. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the man who, who soothed and calmed and assured. Luke chapter number 20, uh, verse number 20. Back in Isaiah 50, verse 4, there's a part of the verse that says, "...that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary." I think of the verse in Proverbs that says, um, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. And um, I heard someone say recently that 
there must have, Solomon must have had some kind of decor in his house of a pitcher, uh, maybe some kind of basket of silver and an apple of gold in there. And he said, you speak the right word at the right time. And it is this precious decor in someone's life. And you know what Jesus was great at? He was great at coming along someone who was downtrodden and helping them through life hardship. He was great at putting his arm around them and encouraging them. Um, that's something I've asked the Lord to help me to grow in um, every year of my life is that I would be a calming and soothing presence in the lives of people who are having a, a hardship. That when someone's going through something difficult, that I could come along their side, by their side. And, and when I leave their side, they're in a better place than when I, when I arrived. Let me ask you something tonight. When you leave someone's presence, are they filled with joy because you were there? Or are they filled with frustration because you were there? You ought to bring a calmness. This is what Jesus did. Look at Luke 20. Look at verse number 20. And they watched Him. And... And sent forth spies. I think I've got the... Um, no, I'm sorry. I've got, I've got my passages out of order. Look at Luke 4. Turn over to Luke 4. We're going to come back to Luke 20 in a minute. Luke 4, verse 17. Luke 4. Verse 17, we're going to read down through 19. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. So Jesus is back in his home city of Nazareth. He's begun his earthly ministry. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. This, this is Isaiah 60, I believe. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What a beautiful passage. Now, he was taken out to the edge of town and they tried to throw him off the edge of a cliff because he was claiming to be the Messiah here. But, but all that aside, look what Jesus is saying his mission statement for his ministry was. It was to, again, uh, verse number 18, it was to preach the gospel to the poor. It was to heal the brokenhearted. It was to preach deliverance to the captives. Do you know there's a story where Jesus got in a boat, he went across the Sea of Galilee uh, to Gennesareth. Uh, there was nothing in Gennesareth there for him except the man who was demon-possessed and cutting himself and running around tombstones naked. And Jesus got off the boat. That man came running up to him and worshipped him. And Jesus said, what is your name? And he said, uh, uh, Legion, for we are many. The man was possessed with a legion of demons. And Jesus cast the demons out of the man. And the Bible says a few verses later that uh, he was seen sitting clothed and in his right mind. And then Jesus got back in the boat and he left. Why did Jesus come across the uh, sea there? For one man. To set at captive he who was bound. Jesus on a regular basis would stop what he was doing and 
would heal the blind or heal a leper or heal the halt. Uh, one such story, Jesus is walking through town and a funeral possession, 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 a funeral, help me with the word here, procession, there it is. I'm just making sure you're awake. Funeral procession goes by, and um, uh, and it's a, a widow of a boy, and she's got no one else to provide for him. And Jesus stops the funeral and raises the young man back to life. What a story! This was Jesus. He came to bring calm. He came to be a redeemer. Now go over to Luke 20. Luke 20. The 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 Bible says back in Luke, or rather in Isaiah 50. And verse number 4, it talks about his objective. It was to, um, again, speak a word in season to him that is weary. But it also says in the beginning of that uh, chapter, or that verse, it says that he had the tongue of the learned. You know what that means? That means he was really good at articulating that which he believed and not being trapped in his words. Look at Luke 4, or Luke 20, Luke 20, verse number 20. And they, and they watched him. And sent forth spies, which said, which should feign themselves just men. They might take hold of his words, that so uh, they might deliver him under the power and authority of the governor. So they're going to ask him some riddle of a question to try to trap him uh, so that they can arrest him. All right. 21, and they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly. So they're plants, right? They're, they're there pretending to be something they're not. Neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. So here's the trap question. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? So Israel being under Roman rule in this passage. But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, why tempt ye me? He says, show me a penny, whose image and superscription hath it? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. And they could not take hold of his words before the people, and they marveled at his answer and held their peace." They thought they had them this time. Boy, we got a question. I, I, you know, Brother Kyle, I don't know that they did this, but I, I kind of get the idea that the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, they went into a back room in the temple, and they sat there, and they came up with a collection of stumper questions to ask Jesus. You know, I bet this one will get them. And I bet that one will get them. And uh, they threw out the ones that were maybe B-level, and they came up with their A-list of tough questions to stump Jesus. And especially that last uh, week or two of his life, between the time he raised Lazarus from the dead up to his arrest, boy, you see a lot of this, them coming after him, them trying to get him. And each time he takes their question and turns it on their head. There's another story where Jesus is in the temple teaching, and they come to him and say, um, by what authority do you do this? And he says, I'll tell you, uh, I'll answer your question, but you've got to answer one of my questions first. The baptism of John the Baptist. Was it of God or man? And they huddle up, right? Huddle up. And they come back and say, they say to themselves, they say, well, if we say it's of God, 
He's going to say, why don't you believe? But if we say it's a man, then the people are going to stone us because they perceive John to be a prophet. So they come back and say, we cannot say. And Jesus says, well, then I can't tell you by what authority I do these things. They just couldn't get him. He was too good for them because he was God and they weren't. And they tried and tried and tried. But as uh, as Isaiah 50 verse 4 uh, uh, prophesied, he had the tongue of the learned. The tongue of the learned. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 28. Here we find Jesus just finishing up his famous Sermon on the Mount. And uh, he's giving all kinds of teachings that just have people just just amazed. They're just amazed at what he has to say. And as he's finishing his speech, and people are dispatching and they're leaving, look at Matthew chapter 7, and look at verse 28. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For Look at 29. For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. And not as the scribes. He taught as one having authority. He had the tongue of the learned. I get the idea that the Pharisees were very scripted in their sermons. They just kind of read their sermons. Um, I, I've never really sat through a traditional Catholic Mass. How many of you here have sat through a traditional Catholic Mass? I, I've been to a couple of weddings and funerals, Right? But the sense I get, and I'm sure some priests are probably better public speakers than others, just like Baptist pastors, but I get the sense that a lot of their sermons are very scripted. Very, like, I'm going to count how many light bulbs are out, you know, and I make sure all the light bulbs were good here before I said that, so I don't think we have any out, do we? A lot of the deacons are giving sermons. Now, even in a Baptist church, if the deacons give sermons, those are scripted and dry. So, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm picking on our deacons here. Um, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. But uh, so, but but listen, this this Pharisees would preach scripted sermons. Jesus just got up and he just taught as one who had authority of truth. And the people said, "This man's tongue is eloquent and learned." Go back to Isaiah 50. Hold your place in the New Testament. Go back over to Isaiah 50. Look at verse 4. Notice the end of the verse. We've got about 10 minutes to go here. Look at the end of the verse here. The end of verse 4. It says, um, He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. So, if I understand this verse right, there was a time where Jesus learned the Word of God. He had an ear to learn. He took the time to learn. Alright? Now, this has always been a fascinating concept to me, but did you know that when Jesus was born, there was a moment somewhere along the way where He discovered who He was? I would love to know when that was. Somewhere along the way, He realized, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. Did it happen at two or four or six or eight? By the time he got to the age 12, he knew who he was. Go over to Luke chapter 2. We only get one story about Jesus' childhood, and it's at the end of Luke chapter number 2. His family made the traditional yearly trip into Jerusalem for the Passover, and 
they would travel in large groups as a family, and it was just assumed he was with one of the cousins uh, or uh, aunts or uncles, and they got a day journeys back home and realized they had lost Jesus. Boy, that's, uh, that's a problem. You know, God, God sends an angel to tell you, you're going to raise my son, and you turn around and he's gone. I mean, this isn't losing just any child. You've lost God. I mean, I, I, it, as a child, right? So look at Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 46. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple. Now, I just want to ask Mary and Joseph, why didn't you start there? Right? I mean, where, where did you look first? Why didn't it take you to day three to go to the temple to look for him? But they get there, and um, they find him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. He has the ear of the learned. He, he's not running around playing, you know, cowboys and Indians or, or cops and robbers uh, with his cousins. He's in the temple, sitting there with the learned men. He's asking questions. He, he wants to know more. Look at verse 47. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou, uh, thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And, he, and said unto uh, them, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? So here he knows who he is. He knows who his father is. He's 12 years old, and he's in the temple, and he is an ear of understanding, just as Luke 50, verse 4 uh, prophesied. And they understood not the sayings which he spake unto them, and 51, and went down with them, and came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. He obeyed them. But his mother kept all these sayings in his heart. Look at verse 52, and if you're a parent here, boy, you need to work to make sure your child is growing in all four of these areas. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, so that's um, spirit, or rather um, uh, uh, academically he grew, uh, physically he grew, and in favor with God, spiritually he grew, favor with man, socially he grew. The four areas of development uh, of Jesus ought to be the four areas of development for our children. The point here is that Jesus, uh, he applied himself. Now, uh, how old was Jesus when he began his earthly ministry? How old was Jesus? 30 years old. Okay, what did he do the first 30 years of his life? Well, he was a carpenter, right? But what else did he do? You know, he was, he was walking with the Father, and he was learning the Scriptures to prepare I just want to make a quick point of application, and then we'll move on here. If Jesus needed to pray and read his Bible, don't you think that you and I need to pray and read our... Are we better than Jesus? He spent 30 years preparing himself as the God-man for three and a half years of ministry. I just think maybe if it's good enough for him, it is good enough for us. So we see his objective, letter B, and we'll finish with this one tonight. Notice his obedience. His obedience. Look at verse number 5. Now this one's tough. Talking about rejection or redemption. Look at verse, look at verse 5. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious. 
neither turned away back. Lord God hath, the Lord God hath opened mine ear. Take your Bible over to Luke chapter 22. And again, the Old Testament contains the slides. The New Testament is the slide projector. All of you in here old enough to know what I mean by slides and slide projector? How many of you remember missionaries that would come to churches with a slide projector and, and they click the button and the next slide would come around and that light would... You know what? The Old Testament contains the slides of Jesus. The New Testament is the light that comes through and puts that for us to see. So Isaiah 50 tells us that he would not rebel, he would submit and let's see that let's see the the slide projector of that taking place. Look at Luke 22, look at verse 41. Speaking of Jesus, it says and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. Here he is in the garden of Gethsemane saying, "Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me." Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Here you have God the Son getting ready to be arrested and beaten, just as it's prophesied in Isaiah 50. We'll look at that next week. And the Bible says in Isaiah 50, verse 5, right before it talks about him being spit upon and beaten and scourged, it says here, he would submit himself to the Father. Is Jesus God? Yes, he is. Was Jesus submissive to his Father? Yeah. God the Son and God the Father equal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. But within those three beings, there was an order in which was followed. Husbands and wives, equal in the sight of God. But God has an order in which the home is led. The husband leads the wife. That doesn't make him any more superior than God the Son is to God the Father, God the Father, God the Son. God the Son submitted His will. Again, look back at Luke 22. Look at verse 42. Saying, Father, if Thou be willing, notice the submission here, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thine be done. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, no, I'm out, I'm done. I don't want to do this. You realize that if Jesus had called it off right here and not submitted to the Father, our sins would have never been redeemed. Because what Jesus was getting ready to go through was to die for the sins of mankind and suffer for our place. In our rebellion, God sent Jesus to the earth to redeem us even though we didn't deserve it. And so we see here the obedience. Again, look back at verse 5 of Isaiah 50, and we'll wrap it up for tonight. Look there, it says, The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Jesus was not rebellious. He did not rebel to the Father. He said, Not my will, but thine be done. Look at verse 6. This will give us a preview of what we'll look at next week. 
I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. I don't think there's any question that's talking about Jesus and what he endured for us there at his trial. So next week we'll pick up in verse 6 and take it through the end of the chapter and we'll conclude this thought of rejected or redeemed. I'm thankful that you were here tonight and I hope that you'll be back next week as we continue going through this chapter verse by verse and studying it. Let's go serve the Lord this week. Let's be earnest in our faith. Let's not be hypocrites. Amen? Let's serve the Lord with gladness. Let's represent Him well and be good ambassadors for our Savior. Amen? Let's stand together. We're going to pray. We're going to go forth. Remember your brothers and sisters in prayer this week. Brother Kyle highlighted for us the importance of prayer. Hold on to that prayer bulletin and pray through that, that, uh, that bulletin and pray for other needs as you know about them. All right? Let's pray. We'll go forth and serve the Lord. Let's ask God to bless us as we go. Let's see here. Brother Okai, could you close us in prayer?